In this conversation, I had the great pleasure of chatting with Brooke Monaghan, founder and managing director of Mosaic Property Group, one of Queensland's most awarded and respected residential property developers. I've known Brooke for 15 years and have watched him evolve and grow as a business person over that time. He's forever pushing himself and his team to standards that are uncommonly high. During our chat, we talk about the drivers that have fueled his intensity and some of the lessons that he's learned over his 20 years in business. What is remarkable is that Brooke is only 43. With his relentless focus and drive, he's managed to squeeze more than one lifetime of business experience into the past 20 years. Given his youth and energy and his genuine reflective perspective, I think his next 20 years will be very exciting to watch. I hope you find the conversation as invigorating and inspiring as I did. Enjoy. This is David Hobart from Beyond the Obvious, the podcast in search of unexpected insights for investment professionals. Brooke, what a delight. Thanks so much for, you know, putting aside an hour of your time, uh, you know, busy time of year, grinding into Christmas. You know, it's really, really great to sit down and have a chat. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure, Dave. Uh, thanks for having me on, mate. Appreciate it. I'm looking forward uh, to having a chat. Yeah, good one. Brooke, I thought maybe we could start with just current state of play. I mean, you know, you have built, by all accounts, one of the uh, most successful integrated property businesses in Queensland over a seemingly fairly short time horizon. It's uh, It's been amazing over the last decade to kind of, you know, watch you from afar and to see the quality projects that you've been spitting out and, um, and, and the fact that you seem, again, from the outside to have this integrated model where you seem to control things from sort of start to finish. Um, I'd love to just talk a little bit about um, how it is that you stumbled on the model that you've got. Uh, and and sort of some of the key factors that contribute to you know the success that you're currently experiencing. Yeah, Dave, I think it's um it's one of those ones that might end up taking us back in time. But I think you know the the decision to to be a fully integrated business, and for those that are listening, all that means is that we you know development um, has many moving parts, and you know the traditional development models of the past have been centered around keeping overheads fairly low. You know, development is the central point of control, but the reality is there's a lot of outsourcing to third parties. You know, and that's real estate agents, that's obviously consultants. It's dealing with people that help abdicate and manage relationships with the community and council. It's obviously sales and marketing, and then you know delivery side, so construction capability, and then you know what happens in managing completed assets at the other end. So. You know, over time, you know, part of it is the journey that I've been on in business. Um, part of it is prior experience that helped me get to a point whereby there was a sort of broad, I guess, development of a skill set that enabled us to to build competency across every part of the development model. And all that's always been around is management of risk as a secondary but primary to make sure that we deliver on the promises that we make. Um, my biggest fear is hey, we can't manage risk if we're abdicating key parts of that process to third parties where we don't control decisions that they make, we don't control their own balance sheet or own risk that they might have external to our relationship. So it's always been for us about, you know, we people come to, particularly for, you know, we're in that luxury, you know, apartment space predominantly. We're built, you know, infill um, houses, high-end homes, infill terraces and townhomes and um, and the rest as well. But we're predominantly known as a, a developer of luxury apartment complexes in Brisbane, Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast. And one of the key things to, to understand around that is that we actually don't sell something that's completed. So we, we sell a promise that we're making now to a client based on stuff that's created on paper. So, you know, images and renders and you know, an understanding of what that project's going to look like and what their individual apartment's going to look like at the end of that that process, hopefully. But at that point in time, there's no guarantee that we're going to do that when we're sitting in front of clients. So there is a... Um, a commitment and engagement and you enter into a you know formal contractual agreement around what it is that we say that we are going to deliver and what is it the client will pay for that in return. But the reality is, is that client places a lot of trust. And so for us, it's always been about um, not seeing property as a pure commoditized business. And a lot of people have seen, and it's not right or wrong, it's just different, but a lot of people have viewed property development as a vehicle to create commodities and that's properties. Um, so, you know, generated from from financial modelling, from spreadsheets um, around looking at a piece of dirt and then, you know, how do we maximise the financial outcome for us as a developer? 
keep our overheads low and outsource risk. So we're, we're always viewed that what we do is we generally create stuff that, that people live in. And once we understand the importance of that and the impact that that has on people, then we go, well, we're going to make a decision to invest in brand rather than commoditize the transaction. And over time, the equity in that brand that's built up by delivering and what we're saying we're going to deliver on by controlling every part of the process, you know, hopefully results in better engagement with our brand at a time that gives us a competitive advantage over the marketplace. But it's definitely a long-term play, mate, and it, and it carries a big commitment because, you know, you've got a lot more invested uh, financially and you've got a lot more invested from a risk perspective. So it's not – that's why not many people, you know, head down this path. You've got to sort of view it as a 15- to 20-year play to get the real benefit from it. But we did make a decision pretty early on to – that if we're going to commit to um, building product that people consistently relate to as, as being someone who delivers what they say they're going to deliver on, that delivers quality, that doesn't walk away from the transaction once it's completed, so that whole enduring value, enduring commitment to the client, then we need to invest in capability across every part of the business. And, yeah, and we're, we're really glad we did, mate. It's, it's, been, a, it's been quite a journey and, that, you know, we've got a lot of people and a lot of mouths to feed and, um, there's a lot of people that are pretty heavily reliant on our business these days and we take that responsibility really seriously. But, you know, Mosaic most definitely would not be where it is today if we hadn't invested in that capability early on. Yeah, that's interesting, Brooke. I think, you know, what, what I hear, you know, around your brand and there's probably a whole, you know, it's probably multifaceted, but I, I hear the importance of of doing what you say you do, you'll do when you say you'll do it, you know, so this notion of integrity uh, but counterbalance, like there, there's an interesting uh, idea about trust that comes along with that. So in the first instance, uh, like how do you balance that? Like it sounds to me like you've you've built the brand based on that idea of making a promise and then, you know, running like a mad bastard to actually fulfil on it. Yeah, it's a bad spot on, mate. Hmm. Yeah, and then, and then how – like along the way, by the sounds of things, you must have encountered, because of the way that you've actually now built an integrated business, uh, you know, you must have had trust in others betrayed, you know, X number of times. Otherwise, why would you bother having a construction business? Why would you bother having, you know, all these parts to your business that create overhead, uh, you know, like most developers don't? So, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you handle that issue with trust? It's a great question, and, and Dave, we've, we've had a relationship for a long period of time, even you know pre Mosaic, and and I think it's a really good point that you make. Um, you know, I, I have this you know fear, if you like, um, of letting letting people down. So for whatever reason, that's just part of my DNA. Um, and you know, early part of my business career, when I you know I grew multiple businesses at a young age across multiple different industries, and I didn't have um, the big picture you know, worldly understanding or experience at that point. I didn't have a level of competency for the number of businesses in the different industries that I was running. Then, you know, I learned lessons the hard way and most of those lessons and certainly the lessons that were the most costly financially and emotionally for me were um, around relationships with individuals and, and people um, not delivering on, on what they'd commit to do and even further than that, like, you know, some pretty gross betrayal of trust. And and so over time and, and understanding, you know, what was my... Um, role or part that I played in that and what did I need to learn from it and I was you know probably early on pretty a, a pretty slow learner in that regard so I you know I came from if we just go back a couple of steps to, to answer that question you know I sort of I grew up with um, you know you know a family structure of strong values that came from working class but was really rooted in you know working hard you know earning the right you know nothing um, gets given to you, take nothing for granted. You know, you do what you say you're going to do and and that's it. It's pretty black and white. So, you know, I was probably pretty naive in the early part. And I say early part, mate, I'd say first eight to ten years of my, my business life given I got into business in my early 20s, early to mid-20s. So I um, learned some really hard lessons early on. So I think there is some context around some betrayal in the Mosaic experience, but I think the bigger context around betrayal even existed prior to what Mosaic became, which I think was really helpful in setting the charter or the foundation from Mosaic early on around how we decided to set that business up that would maybe not, you know, we wouldn't have made possibly the decisions to the same extent around capability across that whole development life cycle if I hadn't had the previous experience in business around being let down. And so, and, and understanding that when you are let down on a growth scale like that, that um, it creates a lot of risk and, you know, and that can create a lot of, um, a lot of stuff to clean up. So I just wasn't prepared in a business that is already 
Um, you know, it's a, it's a risky business. You know, there's a lot of capital out. Um, that capital is at risk entirely until those promises are completed and the people you've made those commitments to are happy to then settle on their obligations and you can repay everyone you need to repay. So, and, and, you, and there's big gestation periods too, mate. So, you know, you're making decisions today about where you view the cycle, market, appetite for credit, you know, demand people's individual capability to get access to credit to meet their financial obligations that they've committed to in, in settling um, on their purchases based on the fact that you've spent three or four years creating and delivering on that promise. So you, you're making decisions now, but you sit in the risk curve around those decisions sometimes for three to five years. So given it's an inherently risky business and we see that with, you know, many developers and, and builders getting cleaned out, um, you know, every cycle, um, and given my previous experiences in business around portrayal and relationships with people, I just wanted to limit, eliminate that as much as I possibly can. And, and also to be ultimately responsible, I never wanted to be in a position where um, I had the option of abdicating responsibility to a third party. Well, we just want to stand in the space and say um, we will deliver on what we say we're going to deliver and we are ultimately responsible for everything. So if we don't deliver, it is nobody else's fault but our own. And that was really important as a starting point for me in Mosaic based on some of the previous ex- experience I'd had in business. Yeah, wow. That's um, that's a hard thing to do. There's so many moving parts in, I mean, any business, but in the business that you've built, it must be such a, a fine line to be able to manage where you want to enable people to take responsibility and be responsible, but at the same time, uh, you know, know that the buck stops with you. I mean, that's the essence of leadership, let's face it. And I think there's a bit of yeah. Sorry, go on. structure and process in this. Sorry to cut across you, Dale. I think just, just yeah, quickly, no, on that, mate, and that's why it is a journey, mate. Like you don't you don't arrive after you've made a decision and have a fully vertically integrated business that's highly competent across every part of that development life cycle. Like it takes a long time to build not just competency in those individual silos but competency collectively in those silos working well together. And, and that's, an, in, that's a, an enduring commitment. It's one that we, we've got to keep working at every day. You, you never arrive at that point. So the competency gets built in layers over time. And I think as that does, and, and there's a lot of investment in culture, and I'm, I'm sure we'll chat about that, which is around people and expectations and the framework we set up for the type of people that we want to attract and hopefully keep here at Mosaic. Um, the other part is the layers of competency that get built over time add to our capability to deliver on those promises with less risk um, but but it's a journey, and and at certainly at certain points throughout um, the growth of Mosaic, we've been at more risk than we are today, um, and mostly because you know what where we were five years ago is not where we're at today in terms of what we understand and know, and the historical relevance of what we've been able to deliver through some pretty challenging times. Yeah, I, I wonder, Brooke, uh, whether you would have at hand just a couple of examples of of one, whether it's in Mosaic or in a previous business, but where you've felt a betrayal, you know, like you've been let down by whether it's just a not fulfilling on a promise from someone or, a, you know, a deeper betrayal. And, and then the second part to the question would be where you've felt responsible for, you know, a failing. Um, yeah, just so that just to, yeah, just to frame, you know, how it is that you've sort of learnt and, you know, a little bit specific. Yeah, there's many, mate. I think uh, for me, um, and I've always been really open about talking about that, I, you know, I feel like, you know, I've been in business for, so I'm 40, 43 now, I've been in business for, you know, close on 20 years now, or at least 20 years at the beginning of next year. So I've been in business for 20 years and and, and have worked um, at, at, a, at a pretty uh, intense um and relentless pace for that entire 20 years. So it means that the lessons have been accelerated and, and you don't get to a point where you, you start to make um, better decisions on a more consistent basis unless you went through a period where um, you, you made less than desirable decisions on a more consistent basis and had to learn from the consequences of that. So, mate, I think, you know, the path that I've been on is most certainly not uh, is not for the faint-hearted um, because it's a journey that's been – is being entrenched in learning on the tools and learning from those experiences and being able to recover, um, not just from the betrayal of other people, but my part in, in why I was so exposed based on decisions I'd made. And, and, and they were, you know, early on, mate, there was, there's, there was many for me. Um, but I think around my responsibility for a lot of those were, 
just trying to do too much too quickly um, without understanding, you know, that you can't you can't buy experience. I think early on in my business career, you know, the whole notion that you know you had to have you know decades of experience to be highly competent at something was I, I just could not resonate with that at all. You know, I thought that was the ivory tower for um, for those that were protecting the fact they'd been in a particular industry or position for a long period of time and didn't want the next younger generation coming through. So, uh, but I learned pretty quickly why, um, you know, 20 years experience takes 20 years to, to achieve. Um, and so I think that naivety early on meant was that um, I had a lot of, I guess, belief in my ability to work hard to find a way. I was always highly inquisitive and committed to learning, growth, development. I was, for whatever reason, I could bounce back from adversity um, really quickly and, and, and for the most part well. But my part in, you know, in a lot of those earlier lessons was yeah, being far too naive about um, just how long it takes to form an intuitive base, so an intuitive base around the decision-making framework with how I view the world, which is also then how I make decisions in business. And then when I actually realised that the pattern was repeating because I wasn't taking responsibility for how spread I was, you know, the amount of things that I was trying to do at one point in time, and I, and I could not be highly competent across all of those not just the different businesses but the different roles and hats that I wore, um, it created exposure for myself and my business because of that. So, yeah, there were, there were lots of examples through that period, mate, and I think, you know, a mosaic example of a betrayal that, you know, helped us continue to, you know, really, um, you know, double down and focus on our efforts to make sure that we can deliver on all the key parts is, you know, we back when we didn't build all of our own product where we used to, you know, build some of our projects and outsource some of that construction to other builders. Um, we had a, a fairly big builder from Sydney go broke on us um, a bit over about six years ago now on a job. Um, it, was only, it was only about 38 units, but it was a pretty reasonable project for us at the time. And they were probably a third of the way through it. They, they'd been quite difficult to deal with. They were, you know, we felt we'd made the right decision. We were very, we scrutinised very heavily back then on who we engaged with from a consultant or a, an external builder perspective when, when we didn't control every single part, um, they had a great relationship with Westpac Bank. They're well known in the industry, but you know these things happen. And no matter how, you know, one of the lessons from that from us is no matter how well that you know you can do your due diligence and you know you think you've been very considered in your decision making um, in life, stuff just happens too, right? And sometimes it's um, uh, as a result of your own failings or your own incompetence or your own lack of insight or experience. And sometimes you just get let down by people. And, um, yeah, and they went broke on a pretty big scale then in, in, in Sydney and Queensland and, and the director um, fought pretty hard to protect his own position at the time because it was quite a, quite a full-on liquidation. So that meant we couldn't get control of the site um, and, you know, we're at, um, you know, we've got a fair bit of debt with the bank. We've got commitments we've made to clients. We're completely sold out at that point in time. Our brand was really starting to cement itself in the marketplace at that point. And so, you know, to have a project halfway through completion well, we couldn't get access to the site. The builder had gone broke. You know, we've got the bank to deal with. We've got client expectations. And so, mate, we, we worked really hard, first of all, legally to get control of that site. And our commitment was to do whatever it took to deliver on the product, no matter what what we're left with. And um, and we did that. You know, the, the capability of having our own construction and design business internally meant that we're able to pick up um, what was a bit of a basket case. You know, once we really got into auditing, that construction site, there were a whole heap of things um, that were unforeseen, you know, in between slabs and walls and, you know, that just didn't, wasn't to the standard that Mosaic had set for itself at the time for our own construction business. Uh, and so there was about a million and a half dollars worth of works that we decided to completely redo. Um, and that was a decision that wasn't going to be, we knew we were never going to get that money back because the builder had gone broke. Um, but we made a commitment to, to slow down, to go back and fix a mistake that was entirely caused by somebody else to make sure that we um, repay our obligations to the bank but most importantly do the right thing by our clients. And so we we brought that project in three months. Um, it's the only project in the history that we haven't delivered on time. But, it, you know, if, if it was another developer without the capability that we'd built, you know, that could have quite possibly sent them under at the time. So a really good learning lesson because we, we learned that our capability then to not only fix a really difficult situation but to also protect our brand and the commitments we'd made to people just reinforced the path that we're already on at that point in time, mate, and, and that project ended up being a, 
you know, beautiful project. We um we obviously ripped up a bit of money through that process in in having to go back and rectify issues that we made the decision to rectify and deliver a building that in the end surpassed the expectations of the clients um, and only three months past the scheduled date. But it was certainly a a moment that reinforced that the path we're on was the right path. Yeah, good one. Brooke, I wonder, um, you know, just in hearing you talk to the lessons you learned in your early years in business, when it came to getting really clear around the business that is now Mosaic, I wonder how was that sort of goal setting or planning process for you uh, taking on the learnings? Like the question's almost like if you were going to talk to someone setting out in the game that you're in, how would you go about it? But in the context of what you actually did uh, with the learnings you had around, you know, taking on too much and, um, you know, thinking you didn't need experience and, and all that, like how did you frame the goal setting around you know, the formation of Mosaic and, and, and the business plan, if you like? Yeah, great question, Dave. And, and the most obvious um, and first response to that is clarity. Um, and so, you know, once I'd gone through, you know, I had a couple of instances that occurred, you know, around about sort of that 2009 to 2011 period, which, you know, you know a couple of betrayals which had followed other previous ones and, and me just for the first time, just going, what am I doing? You know, I'm, I'm spread across so many different businesses and industries. You know, 80% of it I didn't really enjoy. Um, and, you know, I was about to have my third child at the time. Uh, you know, we lived on a farm up the Sunshine Coast in land. I was away a lot. I think, you know, Mosaic would not be what it is today had I not had those previous experiences because it is, you know, the nasal gazing, um, as I know that you often refer to, Dave, but it was that deep introspective viewing of, you know, what path am I on? You know, why am I doing? What am I doing? What do I really want to do? What am I, what am I good at? And what do I love doing? Um, and I know that sounds like an obvious starting point, but that wasn't always obvious for me in business. You know, I just set out on a path based on I was really determined. I was inquisitive. I, I found great joy in building and creating things, but there wasn't always a clarity or purpose around the starting point or what was the end goal. And I think those experiences really um, – you know, forced that hand for me. So, you know, I made decisions back then, mate, to, you know, I sold a couple of parts of the business, but I also, you know, I gave a couple of businesses away to long-term loyal employees that were profitable businesses that I'd created because I just knew I had to start clean. I could not go forward from that point and still have one foot in the previous camp. Um, And so I'd realised that the thing that I'd been best at for that entire first sort of 10 to 12 years of my business career and the thing that I enjoyed the most was, in property, um, you know, development, design, construction, like physically creating and delivering something, you know, having a connection back to using my hands, which was really important for me growing up. Um, and But I could apply the skill set and learnings from some of those other businesses and industries um, to development and construction and so on and sales and all the rest of it that was extremely helpful for me at that time. But it was the ability to to almost burn the ship's mate. I know that that gets thrown around a bit, but but I literally did that. Um, I gave away, you know, substantial amounts of income and profit from existing businesses at the time to literally start again with nothing and to rebrand the development and construction arm of what I did at the time to create Mosaic. Um, and for the first time in my life, I committed to doing one thing and one thing only. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to try and run, run multiple businesses. I want to do one thing. I want to start small and I want to do it better than anyone else, however long it takes me. And I think that starting point for Mosaic was really critical for the path that we then were set on thereafter. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, I, I wonder now, Brooke, whether we could even go back a little bit further. Uh, and it's clear to me, you know, ever since I've known you, you've had an incredible drive uh, and, a, and I'm not sure what's behind that. And I guess that's, you know, I know people that uh, you went through uni with uh, and, you know, you, to them at least um, – and it's not a very big sample size, but the, the, you weren't always that way. You know, you were a, like a, a your, your typical 18, 19, 20-year-old who, you know, enjoyed a few beers and played the played sport and, you know, wasn't particularly focused at uni. And Yeah. Yeah, mate, I think and, 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 <laughs> I was wondering how you were going to go that? with that period of my life, mate, because that could have got a bit wild. <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, I'd hate I'd hate for you to bring up mine too. So let's just go. But I'm just wondering, like, was there a 
a something that was like a switch for you where you went, you know what, this is what I want for my life. This is who I want to be. Or, or was it a series of things or was it just background or upbringing or like what, 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 have, what have been the, the formative drivers for you around, um, you know, because what you're doing as a, as a human being is not ordinary. And, you know, it would be really insightful for a lot of people to go, okay, well, is there a switch? Is there something I should do? Is there something I can latch on to in terms of a, a shift in my mindset that can kind of help me to yeah on with the next phase of my life? Yeah, it's probably the it's probably the really meaty stuff in the discussion, mate. And only because I haven't worked all of that out entirely yet, I'm not, I'm not sure I ever will. But I think you know because I get asked that question a bit, mate, and particularly given that I don't come from a background that would be seen as more typically formal for the path that I'm on in the business that we've now created and run. You know, we don't come from a family that was, you know, development construction background. I don't come with a family that had wealth or a balance sheet. You know, there wasn't anything I inherited in terms of skill set or money or knowledge or a, or a, a rite of passage. There was none of that. So I think, and, and I wasn't, you know, I studied ag, ag science, ag science and agribusiness at, at UQ, right? So, you know, back when I left university, I, you know, I, I went and worked on a cattle station up in northern Australia on the basis that I wanted to go and, you know, work really hard and, and go and own my own cattle station, you know, my, my own farm one day. That was my dream when I was at uni, right? So I think, but but I, I mean, if I do go back, I think there's a, there's a few a few things that I think do define that. Like I, there's part of it is always the DNA piece. Um, you know, always since I've been young, I've always been very driven. So I've always wanted to be good at stuff. I've always had, um, you know, a very inquisitive mind, which also meant that I probably moved on from things too quickly. Like I always wanted to do everything. So I wanted to do everything and I wanted to be the best at everything and all of that sort of stuff. And, and you know, quite clear, I wasn't always the best at everything, but I was pretty committed, pretty competitive by nature, um, which is not an uncommon trait um, for young young boys growing up. But yeah, so I, I think, you know, when I got to university, it was a bit of, I didn't have clarity. You know, I thought, you know, I wanted to go bush. Um, you know, my family had a history in the meat industry. You know, my Father, uncle, grandfather, all butchers. They, you know, they had a they grew they grew beef and they grew hay and they had a dairy farm and the hunter when I was first born, and they had a whole series of butcher shops and meatworks and and then so that was you know I had a, a, a connection to the bush, but there was no there was no like there was no path forward in a family business. Like my my dad was on Battle Street, mate, always working his ass off seven days a week just to try and send our, us kids to a good school and provide a future. So. But I think the biggest one is that I've always um, applied myself and those values do come from family, from home. Like, you, know, you know, my father worked seven days a week, um, you know, wasn't educated. My mother was married at 18, had me before she was 21, you know, was living on the dairy farm, didn't get to go to university. Uh, and they worked really, really hard. They were never given anything. They had quite a few setbacks um, in, you know, being young parents trying to find a way in the world. And so I'd, you know, definitely the core values about working hard um, and, you know, making the most of it, Un- having an understanding early on that nothing was going to be given to me and that you had to go and create that yourself. And I think the other biggest one, mate, was I I definitely had a fear of being ordinary. And, and I don't even, you know, I say that now and it's sort of me talking through the lens of a younger version of myself, you know, what is what is ordinary? Like I don't, I don't even know what that means. But if I'm just really frank and open about how I did think back then, I was, I was fearful of just living um, an average life. And an average life might be, you know, just to follow a traditional path and, you know, to get a job and pay off a mortgage and, you know, have the two and a half kids and the dog and the quarter acre block and, you know, go on a holiday with the same people every year. And oh, that was that, that that was something that I, um, you know, for me as a young bloke could think of, I couldn't think of anything worse than that being my lot um, for whatever reason. And I don't know, I don't entirely know where that came from. But so I think there are a combination of things there. And even when I was at uni, you know, I wasn't, that applied to the uni piece because, you know, I just thought I couldn't see, like I knew I wasn't going to be an ag scientist for the rest of my life, right? So it was just a means to an end. Mm. You know, I worked, and this is what, you know, even in those uni days, most of the people um, around me mightn't have seen was, you know, I worked four jobs when I was at uni and, and, and for no other reason other than I always had jobs, I always wanted to work hard and I was always trying to learn. So it was always about work but learning at the same time. Um, and I think I'd, I'd got to the end of those uni days too, Dave, when, you know, the last two years I was playing rugby, you know, I was working four jobs. I did whatever I needed to do to pass uni and that was about it. I actually had no clarity other than I thought I wanted to go and own my own place at some point in time, um, my own cattle place, but I didn't really know the path. I knew that was a difficult path when you don't come from money. So, you know, I left and all my mates went overseas and I made a decision to go and rock up to a stock camp, you know, up near the Territory Queensland border and work long 
you know, hot days in the middle of nowhere for very little money, um, you know, as a stockman for, you know, the first 12 plus months when I left uni and only because the guy that owned that station was, um, was, was known as being someone who was really progressive in his thinking, you know, and what he created from scratch up in Northern Australia. And so I chose that path because I wanted to go and learn from that individual. So I think there was always something there, mate. And then, and then everything that followed from that point was a fairly predictable path. Like I, you know, I got back from that experience and got involved in l- rural leadership programs and, you know, got a, in, you know, in, invited to participate in a pretty coveted sort of graduate program for Grain Co, as, as, um, which is the biggest grain trading company in Australia at the time. But even that, mate, like I was 18 months into that program of a three-year program and I quit to start my first business because it was just never enough. So there was always this burning desire to want to learn, to want to work, to want to get ahead, but without always having clarity around where that energy was going to be directed. And for the first 10 years of my business career, and I, and I guess that's why I was on the path that I was on, mate, was that um, because I didn't know and I didn't have um, the clarity, I, I was just uh, yeah, I was just consuming whatever I could. So whatever opportunity that came my way, I wasn't prepared to let it go, which is why I ended up, you know, growing multiple businesses across different industries um, and, you know, did my apprenticeship. And I still call that period of my life, my apprenticeship, mate. It was a 10-year apprenticeship in business because I had no formal qualifications um, in and around building grown businesses. So I, I know it's a bit of a long-winded answer, mate, but I think no, yeah, there's something a- rooted around values. There's something rooted about having a fear of um, living what I viewed for whatever, you know, for the want of a better word, an ordinary or an average life and not wanting that. Um, and so pretty determined to set off on a path that would hopefully move me away from that, but not entirely sure at that point. In fact, not sure at all on how I was going to get to, you know, not living an ordinary life other than I'm just going to commit myself fully and see what happens. Yeah. Mate, that's not a long-winded answer. That's an awesome answer. It's, um, uh, I wonder, um, you know, sort of coming back to culture a little bit where, you know, you've clearly learnt through that apprenticeship period as you describe in business, um, you know, a lot about what works and a lot about what doesn't work. Um, but as long as I've known you, you've always had a very um, a keen focus on people. And, and and I wonder, like, how that, you know, in terms of values and what you've learned around character traits, you know, for, for setting up the culture of your current business, like, what you learned along the way, like, what, what changed in terms of what you look for in people uh, in, in defining culture from when you started in business to where you are today? Yeah, great question, mate, because that, that definitely has been an evolution. I think I'll start with what's still consistent in, in what I look for in people and, I, and then I'll also talk about, you know, what's probably evolved and, and changed a bit over time through learning. Um, and then I think so what's consistent has always been I've always, you know, enjoyed creating things with other people. So I've never been someone... Um, who is a lone wolf? Like you know, in, even in those all of those previous businesses, and, and you and you know that day from our relationship way back was that it was always about um, attracting people and taking them on that journey and creating stuff together, and and so there was always a lot of joy in that for me in in creating something of substance for for people to to get involved and commit to. Um, you know, back then, I think the difference was that you know we're still attracted to the same type of person. You know, perhaps through the my own lack of understanding naivety and I hadn't I just didn't I just didn't have the the learning and experience at that point was that um you know I didn't understand the value of keeping it simple and and and, and probably understand the value of competency as much as it did the quality of people so I'd always look for traits around people that were similar to you know, what I um I guess um, we're attracted to. So, you know, traits around doing what you say you're going to do, you know, people of substance, people that can bounce back up their, off their feet, they don't treat, take themselves too seriously, um, certainly no big egos, you know, put the team first as opposed to the individual, um, willing to do whatever it takes no matter how long, um, you know, grafting, supporting each other, um, you know, frankness and transparency in communication. So all of those things, so, so traits that you define as, um, you know, good people, you know, honesty, um, core values around um, work ethic and and following through, um, but you know I've also learned over time that you know particularly when a, a business you know grows and there's complexity in the the daily task and what it is that you needed to deliver to manage risk, and also deliver on the promises that you make, 
is making sure that you also put people in the right role. So part of that's personality trait and part of that is competency and skill set. And I, and I certainly overlook the competence and skill set, not entirely, um, but I'd give more credence or weight, if you like, to what I would see as, as values or people values or character traits and quality of um, um, what I viewed as character traits back then in individuals when I, when I met them or asked them to join my businesses. So I think over time um, that hasn't really changed other than we've just got, I've just become a better judge of character, mate. Um, I've also become a better leader. So I think you become a better leader, you attract better people um, and you become, you know, once again, a better leader through experience. And that experience is only created through um, not the successes you've had, but from, you know, the failures or the decisions you've made that, that haven't always turned out as well as you would have liked. So becoming a better leader is a really important part of attracting a better quality person because people want to follow um, leadership that is, in my view, is genuine, that, that is, um, is rooted in something of substance and consistency. And I think the majority of people have a really good bullshit radar. You know, like you can't, you know, if you don't lead from the front through your actions and if your actions don't um, consistently reflect what it is that comes out of your mouth, then my view is that you won't attract and keep good people over time. So I think, and, and that leadership's not just about me. It starts with me, but it's about the broader leadership group in Mosaic. So we've been really fortunate to attract just really good quality people that um, have aspired to get a job at Mosaic um, because they've heard a lot about our culture through social proof through other people, like unsolicited feedback. Uh, and so once again, when you layer that over time, um, then, you know, you build up, you know, I guess inside the brand equity of Mosaic is a an, an, a perception in the marketplace that um, it is a great place to work. It's not it's not for everyone, mind you, um, but for those that are driven that want to be part of something where we take a lot of pride in what we deliver, uh, they want to learn and grow and be part of a sort of collegiate type team environment, then Mosaic rewards that type of individual. So I think for me, you know, ego's a big one, mate. We just don't tolerate it. And, I, and ego for me is when people want to put their own um, aspirations and priorities ahead of the, the, the brand or the broader business and the people within that business. And that doesn't mean that we don't support, of course we support the growth of individual goals um, uh, around career growth, development, financial goals, aspirations around leadership. We're massively supportive of, of aligning that with the business interests. Um, but the starting point must be, in the best interest of the team and the broader business. So people that follow through, there's no airs and graces. Um, they may not have always come from um, the most traditional sense around a particular role, but there's clear that life experience has given them a, a level of quality as a person that fits really well with the mosaic culture. So really important that we protect the type of people that we allow into the business because um, the business now has got to the point whereby you know, if we don't make those decisions, it becomes pretty evident really quickly and and thankfully that doesn't happen too much these days, um, you know, the business sort of will automatically, you know, call those people out. It doesn't, it doesn't have, have to happen at a leadership level. So, yeah, really strict around the type of people that we take on the journey, but mostly, mate, that's attracting those people through our own actions and the type of leaders that we are um, over time. And then I think making sure as well, Dave, that we, we make decisions where we put people where they've got the best chance to be successful. So part of that's character traits, um, but, but it's also competency. And so when we set up um, people in roles where they've got a better chance of success, then they're more likely to, to fully commit to um, the mosaic agenda, if you like. Um, and that's, yeah. once again, that's just come through learning. No, that's great. Um, so a self-awareness question, Brooke. Like, um, you know, if you, this is on leadership, right? So if, if, if I did a survey of, uh, you know, 20 random members of your team and said to them, you know, what do you admire in Brooke as a leader? And the second question being, where can Brooke improve as a leader? How do you think, you know, two or three dot points on each that, you know, would average across the group? Yeah, I could probably give you a few few more dot points on the second one, mate, that's for sure. Um, yeah, so on the improvement side, I think my biggest one, mate, is, is – through experience over time, Dave, in, in you know, having um, people let me down and, and, and most of my biggest lessons in life and, and the lessons that have had the greatest consequence are around individual relationships um, and people letting me down and, and then my, you know, my part to play in that and understanding why I, you know, I got myself in those situations to begin with. So I think as part of that, what that's created at times is a fairly strong sense of wanting to control everything, wanting to control all of the outcomes. So, you know, my 
Um, you know, my personality can be fairly dominating at times. I have really, really high expectations of everyone around me and and that's pretty relentless uh, and that's not always – that energy is not always um, entirely productive um, and it doesn't always allow people to be the best version of themselves. So I am acutely aware of that because it's part of my personality um, that gets stuff done um, and ensures that as a business we, that we – from a leadership of the business, we've got to where we've got to, but it's not always – um, as productive as it can be for other people around me and can have an impact on others that makes them, you know, they get left feeling at times of, of, of not being enough or not being good enough or um, being anxious about whether they're going to be good enough because of the standards that we set consistently. And so I've, I've learned that I, for me to get the best out of people, I've got to be aware that the impact I have or my energy has on and my way of being on others um, uh, is not always ideal. So really trying to constantly um, reflect on how other people are around me based on what I might be um, putting out there and whether the expectations that I have are realistic or not or whether it's it's just how, um, you know, it's me trying to project the expectations I have of myself on everybody else. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's the biggest one that I have to work on. Can, later. I, can I, can I uh, butt in there and just ask about that? Like how do you balance the knowledge of that, so that self-awareness that you have around that uh, with the – uh, importance of being fully self-expressed, mate. I, I having a culture where that we can trust that we can be fully self-expressed. That's the biggest one, mate. So I can talk like this openly, um, not just with the other directors and the, the senior executive leadership team at Mosaic. I, I, I can talk about it with anyone inside our business, and I know, like you know, it might be my EA as a, as a small example where you know, I'll be so jam-packed all the time with everything that I'm trying to achieve and do and people I'm trying to meet and things that I'm trying to manage that, you know, I'll, I'll get – I can be short in my communication, mate. I can be quick to um, to judge. Um, I can be quick to lambast people if their standards aren't high enough without always stopping to understand the bigger picture and some of the facts that that, um, that give some background to that. And then when, when I see that happening, I'm really quick to clean it up, mate. So and just just really quickly to say, hey, that wasn't appropriate. Um, you know, I, I should have uh, I shouldn't have spoken to you like that, um, Kr. Thanks heaps for everything that you do, mate. I'm really grateful. Um, uh, let's move forward. So I think the went the ability to have a culture where that you can talk openly about um, your flaws, if you like, because that's what they are, right? Your blind spots that have an impact on others. But there's also no point in me completely changing who I am because then I'm not fully self-expressive and, and, and the way I've been has served Mosaic extremely well. Um, and so understanding that it's served the business really well and for the most part it has, you know, it has a positive influence on our culture and the outcomes and the results that we achieve but also being humble enough, mate, to be able to understand that it's not always ideal and the ability to have those conversations with people inside our team as certain things turn up I think is a really important part of it. Yeah, great. So, Brooke, I'm not going to let you um, uh, talk about another area of improvement, but if I'm going to come back and ask, so your staff have been surveyed about what it is that you know they admire about you as a leader. You don't have to give me three dot points, but at least one would be good. Yeah, mate, I think um, I've always just done whatever it's taken, mate. I think it's probably the main one. You know, I don't – we've been through some tough times and some challenging times, so one thing the guys never have to worry about is whether I'm going to turn up. Um, you know, I've, and it's not just about working hard. It's also about um, working hard. It's just a, an intention, mate. It's about what it is that we actually create and deliver. So, so I do think that the biggest thing for probably for the team is they trust um, that the decisions that I make on behalf of the business, which have an impact on them, uh, for the most part, are really good decisions. Um, and if they're not, they know I'll find a way through it. So I think that's the biggest thing. So they can trust that I'll make decisions that will either be good decisions or if they're decisions that could have been better decisions or they're the wrong decisions, um, that I've always just found a way. Um, so, we, yeah, it's that resilience, mate, um, and always being there, I think, just gives a sense of confidence probably. It was, if you asked me to, to describe a trait that I think has served the business well that, that most people would probably relate to, then that would be it. Yeah, great. So, Brooke, I know we're running close to time here. I, I just wanted to ask about pressure, you know, you've got lots of stakeholders, lots of moving parts in your business. There's, you know, as you say, there's lots of mouths to feed. There's lots of consultants uh, that are, you know, that you partner with that are dependent upon, you know, your business, et cetera. H how do you handle 
look, or how do you manage uh, the pressure of the business that you've built? Yeah, mate, I think the answer to that is that there is no one thing, which is probably a pretty obvious answer. I think um, for whatever reason of you know, and, and pressure is different things for different people, right? Like, and, and I think I've had to learn that over time as well. Um, is that we're all wired differently, and it's not better or worse; it's just different. And I've and I've always had a a capacity to take on a lot at any one period of time and deal with um, a lot of stuff. And you know, and sometimes that's pretty ordinary stuff. And and for whatever reason, I'm able to just you know keep going. I don't I don't falter easily. I have a fairly big big motor, but then I've also got to understand that. Um, and, I, and, mate, for the first 10 or 12 years, this how that would turn up in, because I always would just keep going. So it wouldn't matter what signs that I was getting, you know, and that might be around where my health um, was at in particular, I'd just keep going. I just would never, ever stop because I was so fearful of failing or letting people down that that would turn up in, you know, health events, right, where I'd just grind myself into the ground and I'd get pneumonia or I'd get the flu or, you know, there would be something that would happen invariably every 12 to 18 months pretty consistently for the first 12 to 15 years. So I think, um, you know, once you've, once you've been over, able to overcome, a, you know, hardship and, you know, long periods of stress over time and you've learnt what worked, um, then I think there's just a natural sort of feeling of, for me of um, resilience and comfort that I'm not, I'm not too worried about what turns up, mate. So I think the starting point is that I have a fair bit of confidence in my, my own capacity um, and my ability to be able to deal with, with just about anything. So I think that has lessened the stress over time. Um, but there are some obvious ones. Like I, I definitely need, I've got a lot better at looking after my health, mate. So I stay fit. Um, we I eat really, really well and, and I'm lucky that my wife and family, um, we, we all made that commitment. So I eat really well. I deal with with exercise and, and, you know, and clean air and sunshine and salt water and all the rest of it that helps balance that out. So I think, you know, a bit of time to quieten the mind through, you know, some of the stuff I do on the physical side, whether that be yoga or breathing or – so I've learned I've, I've learned to be more responsible about managing my health so I don't take it past the edge. I, I still take it to the edge sometimes, but then I'll come back off it as I start to see those signs that suggest I need to. Um, so the health bit's been a huge one for me over the last eight to nine years. And the, the other one, mate, is that what enables me to sleep at night is if – um, we're, we're managing everything that we can manage at that point in time that we can influence, um, that we can have an impact on um, and spend less energy on those things um, that we're unlikely to have as big an impact on. And it's taken me a long time to learn that. You know, I've always been, I've had little faith um, uh, in the first sort of, first part of my life, certainly the first 10 to 15 years of business, little faith in, in, in much to be frank. And it was, um, you know, what that created is, this wanting to control every single part of the process. Um, so, you know, not trusting in understanding that if you've got, um, you know, I talk, we talk a bit about it now in Mosaic about character is fate. So that, you know, if you constantly do the right things, you follow through on everything that you say you're going to do. If you put your hand up when you haven't done the right thing, if you keep all stakeholders completely engaged um, at all times, if you communicate effectively and often, if you're transparent in what you do, if you own mistakes, if you don't ignore blind spots. So I think by being, you know, that's just become so much part of who I am and who Mosaic is. Um, what that means, mate, is that, that the ability to manage stress um, is a lot more manageable just simply because um, there aren't things that intuitively we're ignoring um, that is causing stress. And for some people that happens without them even knowing, right, at a subconscious level. So I think... Uh, managing the health piece, mate, but definitely over time is just making sure that we do all of those little things, the daily discipline, the daily routines um, around our commitment to all of those people um, that do rely on us heavily is in a really important way of, of me being able to manage not just the stress for me but the stress of the broader business and the leadership team. Yeah, great. So, Brooke, last question. Where um, where do you see, you know, your business, Mosaic, uh, let's say in five years, like how, how do you see it evolving? Yeah, Dave, I think we've our, our biggest thing is this this constant commitment to making sure that the work that we've done, you know, up to this point is never forgotten. So this whole thing of we, we turn up every day, we've got to earn the right to open the doors to have people to trust us, to want to continue to engage and do business with us and to buy off us. Um, so really rooted in the fact that we've now built a foundation where there, there is a currency in our brand and it's really difficult in our our industry, given it's quite a cyclical business, to be able to survive multiple cycles so that a brand does have equity, it does have relevance, um, and and we're sort of arriving at that point now in Mosaic. So I think 
Um, for us, it's about just building on that incrementally. There's a bit of critical mass building. So it is the discipline of um, the decisions we make, which also means the things that we say no to. So really clear on who we are and what we do, but also who we are not and also who we um, uh, the path that we do not want to um do not want to head down. So there's a lot of clarity in the decision-making um, to further entrench that brand in the marketplace um, where our brand has built up a fair bit of equity and currency, which is in southeast Queensland. Yeah, there is a possibility that we can, you know, leverage that brand into other marketplaces, um, you know, possibly on the eastern seaboard. It's something we've been contemplating for a few years. Um, you know, I will not make those decisions lightly. They're correct. There's a whole heap of other risks that turn up in moving into uh, a new backyard where, yeah, sure. you know, established relationships have currency and, you know, we don't have a presence in those markets. So, um, you know, from our point of view, there is a possibility that we'll, our brand will turn up in other markets over the next five years. Um, but um, if we do that, mate, we'll do it in a way that's very measured. Um, we're not in a rush and we understand that the value of what we've built today can be taken from us in a heartbeat if we don't focus on the, the daily rituals and the discipline that's got us to this point. So it, it's just more of the same, mate, to be frank. Uh, and where that takes us, we'll see. Um, but we've built up a brand that we'd like to see still have um, really strong currency in the marketplace in 15 to 20 years now because it's really hard to get it to this point. It's taken a lot of effort. And so, therefore, for us, what's most important is protecting that. Yeah. So family values around how we look after the business and the brand, which means looking after stakeholders and clients and our staff, um, is what we focus on. And then from that, mate, we, we actually think a fair bit of opportunity will turn up in the next five years. I think it's a... A pretty exciting time in where southeast Queensland's placed in the cycle in terms of an overall um, sort of global context, but certainly on a national context too, compared to Sydney and Melbourne. It's an exciting time to be living in southeast Queensland. So, you know, to, for us to be at this point, given the work that we've done to date, yeah, we'll just continue to do more of the same, mate. We think there'll be a fair bit of opportunity over the next five years as a result of that. Yeah, great. So, Brooke, um, firstly, thank you so much for you know, spending this time, it's been really insightful, uh, action-packed, lots of value. So really appreciate you taking the time. Um, Brooke, where can people uh, find you if they want to be in touch? Yeah, so, yeah, our website's probably the best bet, um, Dave. So, you know, www.mosaicproperty.com.au, you know, our head office that we just built a new purpose-built office over in near James Street, you know, between the valley and uh, New Farm there. Um, so we, we've got offices at Maroochydore and also on Broadbeach and our Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast present. But, yeah, our website's the best way, mate. There's, there's a bit on there, obviously, about what we do, but also there's a bit around our culture and our people and the founders' mentality around, yeah, I guess, which is a bit of a, a shortened version of some of the chats we even had today, Dave. So website's the best bet. But, yeah, mate, it's really great to be on the call. love what you're doing, mate. I love what you're about. So, yeah, thanks for the invite. Thanks, Brooke. Great. Yeah, all the best for uh, into Christmas. Likewise, Dave. Thanks for your time today, mate. Cheers. Thanks, Brooke. That's it for today's episode of Beyond the Obvious. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you'd like to get in touch, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or on my website, davidhobart.com. Until next time, hooray.